Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Homeless at Large. Thank you for joining the show. This is Roy Sterling Child, my co-host. And Dean Potter. Welcome to the show, everyone. Tonight we have a, a special guest. I'll introduce him here in a minute. Um, this gentleman has been coming around for a while, and he's really trying to help me out in the way, and um, I've been trying to help him out in the best way we can. But first I want to get into a couple things with Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter, how are things going? Going and good. Yeah, how's your week? Been good, been smoking weed. Yeah. Been helping out. And then uh, things pretty peaceful around here. Yeah. Yeah. And so everything's working out pretty good for you. Yeah. Not worried about nothing. No. Nope. We're eating good. I know that. Thank yeah. you for that. So um. No so, word yet on my section eight. Well, you know you got housing right now, right? Yeah. So you're okay. We're not tripping on nothing, right? So um, I wanted to look at a little bit in the news. Um, it seems that Mr. Biden is really kind of screwing things up. Do you agree, Mr. Potter? I mean, uh, I think he's doing well that he can. I think he's done very well at making the country hate him. Because it seems like everybody's talking about him, but the none of them are talking good about him, right? So today I want to get to our, go ahead and get to our guest. Um, this is Christopher Humbly, correct? Did I say that right? Yes, correct. Correct. Christopher Humbly, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, <clears throat> I just had a birthday two days ago. Happy birthday. Uh, yes, thank you very much. And um, I'm definitely full from this lasagna. It was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, we had some dinner. You're going to have to take your mask off. You don't need that here. Oh, okay, yeah. Because you can't. The mic can't hear you. I know. Oh, he just exposed my mask. Oh, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you, you just had a birthday? Yes. We had some lasagna yeah. here. Yeah, and I'm feeling uh, quite quite um, sleepy <laughs> because of it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you have to speak a little more to, to, to say a little bit about myself. Because I can't hear you really. Yeah, and to to you know say a little bit about myself. I am um, here at this location with these two gentlemen. I'm about a mile down the street on Sixth Avenue, in Tucson, Arizona. Yeah, Tucson, Arizona. Thank you. You gotta speak up a little bit because I can't hear you really well. And um, currently I'm um, semi, I call it in transition, constant transition, <laughs> going from one area of life to another, evolving, transforming, getting better, you know, and things are changing, you know, where is my? Yeah, where is he? <laughs> and here's the thing, you know something? So, you know, you were talking about this transitioning things and the getting better, getting, and the thing about it is, if you notice that life is like a series of up and downs, you're up, and then all of a sudden you're down. You're up, and then all of a sudden you're down. And it's usually when you come down, it hurts. It seems that way, yeah. You know, and that's what, and so, Chris, now, I want to ask you a question. Tell me about your life before homelessness. Before homelessness? Before you started living on the streets or before you even got homeless, Tell me about your life. What did you do? Side of living. Yeah. Okay. Um, wow. It goes very far back. <laughs> I um. This is kind of hard to even describe because at the age of two, we came from Sarah Vista. My uh, parents 
were in the military, both of them. Uh, my father never came back from Bangkok, Thailand. My mother <coughs> decided to come to Tucson with me and my little sister. And I never saw her again since that day, so I'm about two years old. Right. And um, since we're here now, I don't know if she's still here in Tucson. Naomi, wherever you are. <laughs> it's your big brother, Christopher Mallard. Yeah, it's too close if you mean. You can bring this door close if you want. Okay. Can, can you hear it? Uh, it's barely picking you up. Oh, okay. I can see it on the soundboard Speak right with here. confidence like we're yes, sir, you're 10 okay. feet you're away. Not, you don't have to be shy. Like, oh, like I'm 10 feet away. Like actually. you're just talking to us right normally, you know? Okay. Mm -hmm. you know, your back in. Is that normally? <laughs> there you go. So, so, so you were talking about your mom, you lost your mom? Uh, yeah. So, I was adopted at the age of two mm -hmm. into a wonderful family because they pretty much blended family like myself. Yeah. And um, early on, that began my transition from what I thought I knew. As living. So what, what kind of life did you live as you grew up? After you grew up and became 18, what kind of life did you live before you went into the streets? Right, exposed to that kind of, you know, living the same punch in, punch out. What yeah. kind of job and stuff, you know? Oh, okay. your life. Yeah, well, I, call it, I call it the punch in, punch out, you know, type of, you know, rat race. The nine right? to five, yeah? Because you don't see anything. But the punch in, punch out, the commute from where you're at back to your place. And the way you God, Yes. So pretty much that was kind of bleak, you know, and those, you know, if you're actually asking. What kind I, of work and stuff, you know? Oh, work? Like, I uh, started off hospitality, you know, so cooking for about 20 years. Started off as a busser, dishwasher. Slash, you know, prep. What was your life like? I mean, you, you, you got a house, apparently. Um, yeah, that's what I say. The punch in, punch out. You know, the monthly bills paid. You know, you get your paycheck every two weeks. You know, you come there and make sure that everything's done correctly to the management. You know? Right. Which I say is a, is a bleak existence. But I didn't know any other existence prior to that. So as time went on, when did you finally start realizing that you were going from that life to a different life? When did you start realizing that the fall was happening and that oh, you were becoming homeless? Oh, my homeless? goodness. What were those When I knew, realized there was no... Um, there was no turning no, back. There was no goal at the end of that rainbow. Yeah. When did and you guess start what? Realizing? I kept swatting at it because I thought I was close, and it would fade away. Yep. As soon as I realized that part, everything started to unravel. Yep. Because the reality of it was, as long as I had that pot of gold in front of me, I could punch in, punch out, punch in, punch out. And everything was blissful because I was living in my head. I wasn't living, you know, other than that space. So what created the start of your fall from... The transition from well, yeah, what well, I recognized that that pot of gold didn't exist, the job didn't exist in that form anymore either, and the housing situation 
did not exist rapidly because if I wasn't thinking about it at least 40 hours a week, it would dissipate within that week. Okay. So you and just, it did. So you just kind of lost hope in that kind of lifestyle. Um, yeah, it was a lifestyle let me down, yes. And then, so when you got out on the, now you, you're going from, you're working, you know, 30, 40 hours a week to you're start, starting to see that there's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow there. You're just working your fingers to bone. What, ultimately, when you ended up on the streets, what was it like for you? What were your feelings and how did you see things? Were you... Okay, you, that, was, that was in my youth, so at that time, it was a different time period, per se. It wasn't nowhere near the millennium. So it was a whole different time period, the mm -hmm. early 80s. You understand? Oh, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, woo, you know, it was all right. That was... Was it Jimmy? No, <laughs> Jimmy Carter. It was Reagan. Reaganomics, yes. <laughs> so that era, for those that can remember. Right. It was a great time, you know. <laughs> so A lot of money. Right. Well, that's what it was about. You know what I'm saying? Sure. To build wealth for the future. You know, this, you know, the whole dream. When you were working, were you a, a social butterfly? Like, did you have a lot of friends that come over? Um, Called you, say, let's go hang out, let's do this. Um... I mean, I don't, I didn't think so. Your neighbors? I didn't think so, but yeah, I was pretty uh, active, you know, as far as, you know, dealing with people because they were all around, you know right. what I mean? And as you started to become homeless and started living on the streets, did the way people treated you change? Oh, most definitely. But my view changed. changed because I didn't know what real homelessness in the way that they propounded through television, propaganda, you know, because I never slept in an apartment bed. Right. I never, you know, I drive by and see people in the dishes, but I never knew what they were doing. So whatever they told me they were doing, that's what I assumed. It was take the book by the cover and let it the bull be the horn. Yeah, because I was too busy chasing, you know, that, other dream or yeah, whatever it was. Dream. But when it, once I landed there, because no matter what I did to hold on to it, 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 it just didn't work. Right. So I found myself wandering, you know, the endless, walking, 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 you know, until the sun came up. They would leave you alone in the daytime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wherever that happened, where you landed. Cops always find the best time to bother you at night. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like they got heat seekers for anybody that seems out of place. Right. He looks a little tired on that park bench. No tiredness looking allowed on the park bench. Yeah. Let's go over there and see what he's doing. So <laughs> now, now as you transitioned into homelessness, what were you feeling? Were you scared? Were you nervous? Were you, did you, like, uh, how did you deal upset. with that? I was upset because up until then, this is what homelessness meant. Hey, stop spitting on me. What's wrong with you? you know, right, oh, right. You know, how come you can't open the door for me? You know? Yes. Hi. Wow. No way back? Okay. You know, and so slowly, your humanness was being... Dissipated. Yes, literally being away. stripped away. Mm -hmm. Because, well, why aren't you waving back? You used to wait that the whole time. The door for me when obviously you could. 
you used to wave at me all the time. You used to open the door for me when we were Was eager to greet the door for me. Right. Now, I could be moving real slow. And you just stand there and stare. Like, are you really coming through that door? Right. <laughs> you know, you and that's a funny thing that you say like that because I, I'm a little more harsh about the way I say it. And uh, as you've gotten to know me, you know I'm pretty blunt, forward, and honest with people. I don't hold back. I don't have a filter of, oh, this is going to hurt their feelings. Screw their feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, when I look at it, nobody cared about my feelings while I was out there on the streets living hard. Nobody cared while I was out there suffering. Nobody cared that I was in the rain, in the cold, with no blankets and shit. Nobody cared. You know what? I came to that realization. But I was still living in the program in my mind. Mm-hmm. I was failing at something. And I was inadequate at something. Yep. I was less than at something. So even though to another it wasn't all my doing, I accepted all that programming. And the deeper I sank into that life, right? Mm-hmm. The deeper I sank into that life, which is, man, I'm feeling again today. Man, you know. You get a job. Oh, no, I, I, I did everything I could to the best of my ability. Not good enough. Yeah, I know how that feels. You know, uh, it's too bad. You know, you just can't sleep on the farm oh, Chris, anymore. I know I'm that sorry, you weren't sir. happy back then. No. I know that Why? you weren't happy being homeless back then, but let me ask you this. Has being homeless changed you in a lot of ways in as far as the way you see society and how you view society's morals and goals? Now, coming from that time period, which was in my early 20s, to this last past experience in my late 40s, right? Mm -hmm. Big difference. Times have changed. Where did you get to the point where you were just like accepting of that you were out there, you understand? Um, and that you couldn't change Because it. there were so many events occurring at the same time. Mm-hmm. And this was in the mid-early 2000s. Right. And, I mean, it was changing so rapidly that from year to year, we think it's, you know, rapid now, but we could literally see the changes from one year to the next. And I mean, where we used to sit down at the table as a family and enjoy talking to each other and doing things and to, okay, I had an issue with you last month, so I'm not talking to you this month. Right. So why are we sitting at the table? So you you to, you know, slowly that whole family unit value and everything became, hey, oh, he's in a cell phone. All right, hey. Oh, they gone. All right. Hey. Nobody and then you said, hey, all by yourself, mm-hmm. outdoors under the light of the moon and stars, and going, hey. Because, you know, you didn't live that for so long, and it's empty. Right. And I noticed, I want to say to my neighbors, Lord bless them. Everybody raise your hand if you can go to your house and shut your door. And say you're totally satisfied with how you're living. Have you ever had because one of those? Because I can guarantee you, ninety-eight percent are gonna say no way. 
So when you were working and everything, did you ever run into, after you became homeless, did you ever run into somebody that you helped while you were working and helped him get up to his level and they're in this top level now and you're on the streets and you go to ask them for help and they... I knew better than to ask because it was innately in them, you know? Right. I knew, I knew Raul, you know what I'm saying? Let's just say his name. Raul, you know? Okay. We both had the same job. We were in the same place. You know, right? Raul fell off. I didn't. Eh, we could come to my place and stay. You know, me casa de su casa. I know how it feels to be in that position because I've been in that position before. Right. So don't feel some type of way, but then at the same time, analyze how you feel in the position that you're in. You can take it as long as you want. And I guess he had his own programming going on. So he didn't do anything but sit there on the mat and read books all day for six months. <clears throat> all right? I know that seems extreme, but for six months, you know, what about the food? What about, you know, toiletries? What about anything? Oh, yeah, I'll get around to it. And then I said, this is not who that I worked with, you know, prior to that situation. Tables reversed. But I was more um, adapted to, you know, living, you know, without a, you know, I, I like to call it more like a, a, a shelter or an area to call home, you know. Right. I mean? But really. It's just a house. Right. The earth is home. So me. as you moved on through your homelessness experience oh. and you started realizing just the, the sheer, um, Hypocrisy through society, if you want to call it that. That's what I call it. It's hypocrisy. Right. Okay. It sounds a lot much better because I wouldn't have and, and, and so right now. When you started to realize the sheer hypocrisy of society, did your mind change as far as wanting to go back to working every day and grind and slaving oh, no, over? No, no. That, that so do you still want to do that? No, that's Are you happy with that? <laughs> to be honest with you. You're pretty happy now, huh? Uh, oh, I'm, as far as, well, I'm ecstatic. But, you know, for a whole other reasons now. <laughs> you don't want to be rich, huh? I am rich. Yeah, you are. But, I mean, as far as money and material, you don't mind? Oh, no, because I know what it is. You yeah. Know I mean, so I translate. As a matter of fact, speaking of being up and down and left and right and ends up, up, just like the program I was taught, meant this. I can't have one bed. I need 10. I can't have just one vehicle. I need five. I can't have one place to stay. I need six. And I almost worked myself into the ground to aspire to success in that sense. What they call success. And the more I reached for it, the more miserable I became, the more agitated because I was not satisfied with living like that. But I couldn't express it because that's successful now. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, how dare you? <laughs> Try to keep up with the Kardashians. Oh, uh, yeah, whoever that is. But, <laughs> you know, I can't even explain some of the things that, at the time, what I was thinking, you know, because I couldn't express it. You I was entrained to say, this is this, this is this. Since I was maybe a toddler, you know what I mean? So it came so natural that, where did that come from, you know? You know, when I, your granny used to tell you that all the time, Chris. Yes, darn it. I'm almost 40 by then. 
when I first started as a homeless person, I was 15, you know, and I used to have friends that I hung out with when I, before I became, before I was out on the street, I used to have friends that I hung out with and uh, they'd hang out with me. And I noticed that when I started, when my dad died, my mom abandoned me, those friends slowly just started dissipating. They started looking differently at me. Like when I knock on their door, it was more of a burden to open the door. A bird? A burden. Oh, okay. like oh man, it's you again, fuck. You know? Yeah. Instead I, of hey I Roy, how you doing? Let's go around here. It was oh fuck, is he here back again? And, and, and why was why did you seem that way? Well, because that's the way they acted. You know I mean, when how, you were, how did you feel? You know they still they knew who you were, right? Yeah, they knew me, and they they were my friends at one time. But their view of me changed. They became. It's like you said, the dehumanizing began. Okay, for them... They started you... seeing me as less human. And that's what they said? Well, it's just how they showed. Their actions showed it. Sometimes they, they, they would... They opened the door, right? They, sometimes they would look out the window just to see if it was me. And if it was me, they would let the curtain go and not answer the door and act like and they that, weren't there. That's how I felt about myself because I knew it was me. Yeah. Doing it. You know, yeah. from my own programming because... Why was I at the door? Right. And, and so, I knew why I was at the door, but I had assumed by my own programming that this is the way they were peeking through the curtain. Now, when you first became homeless, did that you notice the experience. community within the homeless, how they, they just gladly stepped up and accepted you, even though maybe at one time while you were working, you probably didn't accept them very much. Yeah, exactly. I didn't have no clue that they existed. Right, you wouldn't even acknowledge them. I wasn't allowed to look at them for more than 30 seconds. In the but then you something got out might, there, and they were probably the first ones to help you out. <laughs> you when you were out there hurting, they were the first ones to step up and help you. I was afraid that right? they would come towards me and actually, you know, be human. Right. Because that's not the way that I thought or was taught to think. So I was a little apprehensive. Right. Like, oh, my. And then they stepped in and helped say, you. You know, look at that one. His eyes twitching. And, you know, just wild stuff that you just don't do to human beings. But the ones you thought the worst of were the best ones. Yes. Once I got to look at them more than 30 seconds in the face, yeah. And talking to them and realizing And they, literally enjoying life together. and uh, They became a aspects. face instead of just a person. They became or just a, a living soul there. that I didn't have enriched to that point at that level because of the life I was living. Right. I was taught to not be that. You know, don't be alive. Don't feel nothing. Just stay in this box. You're cool as long as you stay right here. This is how you're supposed to think. They're over there. They're this way. You're over here. You're this way. They're over there. Wow, you know, mansions, you know, getting committed. We can't even fathom, you know, how great it is for them. No, I can't. I can't. I can't. I hate to mention this word, but you know, back when, before I became homeless, the police were all too accepting of me. They would come if I called. They would help me. They would tell me how good I am. But then when I became homeless, that stopped. I mean, it just stopped. The police started looking at me as I was scourged. And so, what I wanted to ask you, Chris, is how did the police treat you as your homelessness progressed? Over the years? In my view, because it started early on, you know, and especially in the city where I'm at. And so the authorities that had any longevity in any department already was aware of my, me and my name 
you know, my prior histories, you know what I'm saying? But they only knew because the general public at large, unless they were involved in something I was doing, would have no clue because, you know, I had five different faces there in any given day, you understand? Right. So I could wake up in the morning, hey, how you doing, neighbor? And by, you know, mid-morning, you know, it's, oh, yes, what can I get you on the menu? All right, two, you know, and I had these five different, late, late, late nights, it'd be like, we stay away from them, you know? So, yeah, it was like that. They look at you different. Yeah, and the same person. I can say the same thing five different ways, and they would react five different ways. Now, a lot of people get mad at me, and I, I'm going to say this. I, over the years, um, started not believing in the Constitution. I think that the Constitution doesn't exist, and I'm going to tell you why. The Constitution only exists, you only have rights if you can afford an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, you have nothing. You have no rights because nobody is going to stand up for your rights for you except for an attorney. If you go to court... That's very painful. It is. And, and you know, you start realizing your rights disappear. The police just harass you anytime they want, when they want, how they want. They do whatever they oh, want. Did you believe that from... When, when did you actually believe that, though? Believe what? The Constitution. Well, when I was young, my dad was a military man, you know, so... I'm going to say like this. My dad fought in three wars before I was even born. My dad was born in 1929. He lived through the Great Depression. He started in World War II. He was supposed to board the USS Arizona the day I think at Pearl Harbor. I don't know why he didn't, but he didn't. Okay? So he served in World War II. He served in Korea. He served in Vietnam. I found medals from my dad. I found the Navy Cross. I found his weapon certifications, his hand certifications for weapons. My dad was a not, um, my dad wasn't your normal person. He was a very quiet, modest person, and he mostly stayed home. He had maybe one friend he talked to, and they, that was because he drank together, okay, to forget whatever pain it was. My dad would wake me up every night in the middle of the night. He would be screaming, why did he see? Uh -huh. His eyes looked like dark holes in his head, like he was staring a hole right through everybody there. And when I'd say, what's wrong, Dad, he would just look at me, and as calm as could be, but still in a cold sweat, looking like he saw a ghost, looking like he saw hell froze over, he would just say, nothing, son. Just go back to bed. It'll be fine. Oh, that sounded kind of gentle. But he was... Sounds like PTSD. But he was spooked. He oh, was yes. Spooked. He didn't want me to feel his fear. Or see it. Or see it. He didn't want me to see that he was disturbed in some way. And he really probably felt like he wasn't allowed to talk about it. Because every time I asked him what he did in the military, he would say, son, that's classified. If I told you, I'd have to kill you. Just know I did what I was told. And some things are just better left alone. Wow. Okay? And so, now, as, as so Chris, as, as you went on through your homelessness, did you become more comfortable with being homeless than you were in a house? Um, that didn't happen until the deprogramming process was complete. And let me give it to you this way. Man, I'm stepping over this lady on the sidewalk downtown. How could she sleep like that right there? And when I slept, the best sleep of my dear days, on that same sidewalk, maybe 10 feet away, without a problem. And I mean, I was comfortable. Mm -hmm. Didn't need a blanket or nothing. No back problem. No, no back like problem. Didn't hear a sound. And there were people shoving around, walking on the sidewalk, you know, whatnot. 
And I woke up, looked around, and all the programming was gone. So when I climbed up and sat up on, on the sidewalk and looked around, there wasn't no rush to get up and start walking. It was, let me check out humanity. Wow, from this perspective. And if you ever have done that in front of a grocery store, you know where the sliding automatic doors go, and you're right here at crotch level, and you know, and you're sitting there going, and people are walking by. Just think about that for a minute. It's How many times have you see. done this in a day or in a week? It's Try amazing it. what you it's see. Pretty interesting, you know. So from that perspective, see. I'm looking at people looking down on me. You know, walking out the door, and I'm going, hi, how you doing? You know, but it's odd. And then I said, you know what? This is a neat place. I've never seen this in my adult life. i got to try that again tomorrow. <laughs> so I repeated it. I started doing things outside the box, literally outside yeah. the box, and um, almost everywhere. Now, Chris, on top there's of this statues. stigma that life is easy as a homeless person. What do you say to that stigma? I say, if they give into life, it's way easier. Yes. But if they resist what life is trying to offer them, it can be torture. But not only that, but with, with the people, I mean, like, so as a homeless person, I had a lot of people ridicule me. Get a job, you bomb. Uh, you're mentally ill, you're a drug addict, you're just a bum, okay? And it wasn't, and I, like, I didn't like panhandling. I didn't. I would have rather, I sold newspapers on 22nd Craycock for a while after I got so out of So that's bed. another one of those perceptions of projection, only because when I looked a certain way, you know, right? people would open the door and react a certain way. But if I looked a certain way, They'd be intrepid. And it's all an appearance. And it had nothing to do with, you know. Who you are. Because they had no idea what my status would be. Right. You know, they're going by some appearance. Now, have you ever seen the propaganda of the homeless uh, posters in the the early days? Yep. The PSAs? Yes. Why why did they always have scruffy little dark shadows and, you know, the clothes? There's so many different things. That's part of the propaganda. So it's part of that media war. And what was it supposed to make you think? They used it during World War II. They used it during slavery. It's being, being dark, dirty, and... It's just all the same is not successful in society. Dirty bum. Right? All things right. negative. Right, dirty bum. They're just negative. because someone has to... You know, but now the society up. is hey, dirty. Hey, check this out. This day and age, if they ran that same first original poster today, people people would cringe (laughs) because the homeless don't look nothing like that at all today. You'd be surprised who's homeless and who's not. She drives a Cadillac man with Gucci dress, dude. But she's fucking homeless. Is she fucking? <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm excuse me. But I'm, she's houseless, pardon me, not, not fucking. houseless. She's just fucking the homeless. <laughs> oh, yeah, indeed, baby. She's a homeless whore. <laughs> she's fucking homeless. But now, now, so, so now, what I'm saying is, in the is, broad address, so yes, like, as you started realizing, so like, you know, there's this big stigma about homeless, we're all convicts, we're all this, we're all that, we're all bad people, and the persecution of society. 
makes it not easy to be homeless, is it? Um, see, I, I never really um, gave into that only because I know, you know, early on, I knew the reality of what, you know, people are because I'm people. You just said, so when yeah. I felt something, I wanted it to be felt back. So when I was sitting there going like, I said, you know what? I really don't want this person to feel what I'm feeling. So I'm not going to express it because one day they will and I'll be there to say, I understand. <laughs> but I don't yeah. want to dump this on you today, you know, because yeah. you look like you're having a nice day. So I'm going to sit here and go, whoo. But then when I see her with her programming off, right, completely no programming, she's sitting back now a little disheveled, you know, because she can't really get to the laundromat on time all the time. You know, the car is looking a little more disheveled. You feel me? Yeah. But she's a lot more talkative. She's a lot more bubbly. She's a lot more smiling. A little more personality. Yes. Less of whatever that programming was and a lot more life came into this individual. And guess what? Not just that as an example. You know, hey, the guy has a uniform on, you know? Oh. Well, let's treat him different from the rest of the people around the picnic table. Why? Because guess what? He's homeless too. And he looks different. Yeah, but you know, he has a clean cut, shaven head. You know, he's not all... Soaked up and drawn up, and you know, you know, feeble looking, you know, kind of cocky, you know. Right. Oh, he must he work can't out. be homeless. Can't be. It's impossible. You know, and plus he has a uniform. Look, check out the uniform. Yeah. What is that stigmatize? A uh, government job. You know, the paycheck. So who knows? So let me ask you this, Chris: Have you been a part of? Have you noticed the way that, like, there seems to be this persona of the homeless and. But really, the homeless are in some of the best shape of most people in the world. That comes in great shape. Yeah, it comes with the lifestyle. They carry a bunch of weight. They're carrying a lot of stuff all the time. They're moving around. They're walking a bunch. They're in good shape. Um, a hundred pound backpack, my bicycle going up a mountain. Yep. And that's when I was way homeless. Now, Chris, uh, you know, I got a question for you. And this is just from my perspective. Do you want people looking into your life or do you just want to be left alone to live your life? Um, if, if it's worthy of looking into, feel free. But they ain't going to do that. But to persecute you like they do nowadays, you just want to be left alone, right? Um, not not like lonely, alone alone, but lonely. you want them to just, like the way they persecute you, you want them to leave you alone. Well, I mean, you know, because I'm in open spaces sometimes, yeah, you don't have to wonder what I'm doing too hard, you know? That kind of left alone, yes. Because obviously, if you see me with a sandwich and I'm kind of looking like, mm, this is good, that's all you need to know. Man, you're right. enjoying the sandwich. But you ain't got to be all. <laughs> He's a fucking homeless man. He's a like, drug addict. You know what, what kind of help can I give him? And, uh, you know, no, I'm, because, you know, I, this might be my only sandwich for real, for real. You want some? Right. Oh, no, no. Ooh, how dare you? You know, what are you were standing at? One of, the worst things, you know one of the worst things I hated was that, you know, so people would. It was like so. I was I was different. I wasn't always clean. I had um I had a low self esteem. Okay. Because my mom told me I was a mistake, and at 15 years old, that does a lot of damage mentally and and, and emotionally to me. So not a mistake in a good way. Right, not a mistake in a good way. Right. I was a mistake. She didn't want to have me. She wanted to have an abortion. Right. Well, I thought it was more like a mistake. Like, as in, oh, I wasn't meant brilliant. to be here. You know? And you know, she wishes I was dead and. 
Yeah, just those type of things. That's wow. what my mom told me a week after my dad died. I'm nothing but a mistake. She never wanted me. She never cared. Bed, she never loved me. Arrested? If they came home and told their pets, I wish you were dead. You know, oh, come on. <laughs> that's, that's, so, that's just... And then she dumped me up on the street yeah. corner and I watched her and my whole family walk, roll away. Well, I would call it Christmas time. They would just hang up as soon as I said my name. But then you, you, you had no um, parts in that part of it because guess what? You were to be provided for, protected, and nurtured. You understand? From mm -hmm. the, these two individuals. This and is your umbilical cord to right, the real world. Right. And now, so if they're saying this to you, right, how are you going to know that these people are twisted and sick in their, in their psyche and in their heart? When right. these are the two people that are showing you what love is. They're your birth and you, your life. They gave you life and they're, and they're telling you it's nothing but a mistake. You know? And then and then through now life. you have to find out what that means. What and then like, a mistake? And then like life, you know, to me it was... It was it, that, you, that, that, that's that, what a mistake is. Okay, I'm a mistake. So I'm not meant to be here. I don't belong. And then I have people telling me, oh, you're just a drug addict. You're just bipolar. Take oh, this one. This is a good one. There you go talking again. See, I told you. Yep. And, you know, and, and they, you felt like they were just writing off as a disease. Bears, you know. They were writing off as a disease or an addiction. Is you he, are an addiction. Is he allowed to have feelings? What's going right. on? You're not allowed to have feelings. <laughs> you know. And, and should they be expressing themselves in public? So, so as you went on through your homelessness, no, see, but did they, you I, find I it? some people because <laughs> that's how I talk all the time. You know. Did you ever hey, find? You know, that even people you, I mean, because it, it, to me, that's an emotionally devastating thing. It cost me a lot of trauma. Yeah, yeah, mine's happened way early on. So. And so, as that trauma progressed, I got to where, that's where really, I got so tired because I was bullied as a kid. I was, I was called a mistake by my mom. I was tired of people. It must be bad because most don't. I hated people. I started hating people. I started hating myself. I, and I almost lost my will to live because I tried suicide twice. Hey, mama, hey. Right. I lost, I lost my I lost my will to live because I felt like nobody wanted me around. And then you ever felt that way? When you were always around. Well, and that's the problem though. I wasn't really there. Oh, you were there to be abused. It was like... I would be there talking to somebody and they would look like they were acknowledging me and act like they were involved, but they were really distracting something else and they weren't paying attention. This is what it is. You're there for their betterment because right. when they can abuse you, they feel better. They feel better about themselves, right. That and so, so twisted. Like I used to fill out job applications, you know. On their part, and on like, yours. Like I would go and fill out a job application at McDonald's just to try to get a job so they can say, get a job, you fucking bum. And guess what? That they would tell me I'm not qualified. Little tender. I wouldn't even get a song. I wouldn't even get an interview, but they'd say I'm not qualified. And the wells in my eyes might be And because so, that is so twisted. It's devastating to a person to feel that. See, uh, at that time when I felt that way, that's exactly what would happen. You know, because I wasn't um, callous yet. Yeah. But. I was alive still, and I would express it to the fullest degree. Do you find yourself able to talk to homeless more than you can talk to people who work and are part of society? Not necessarily. 
It's just that I know from both sides of the fence what they're dealing with because they don't have a chance to stop and do that. Right. You know, like, okay, enough with the Whataburger slacks. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, just chill, relax, you know. <laughs> oh, wait, ding, dong, You know, okay, you can do that and talk to me. No, you can't because you can't relax and get on this level like that. Right. See, so I understand that dilemma. And then when they do have time, it's going from the door to the car. So what are some of the hardships you experience as a homeless person, Chris? Oh, my goodness. Woo! Um, 2013, the coldest winter on record in Tucson. I was in a bando. It had a chimney. Mm -hmm. We thought that was a cool idea. Now, for those oh, of you who don't know, let me, let me, let me specify something. For those of you that don't know, a bando is an abandoned house. Yes, or structure. Or structure, yes. That yeah. chimney was about that wide. Hey, it must be water. You know, we see this in the television. No, do not go in a bando with a chimney. Unless you <laughs> no, block no, no, no. that air off because you could literally see cold coming down. sliding down. And it is thick as butter. Almost like Santa Claus. Don't let it touch your blanket because now you're cold. <laughs> you know so, what I'm saying? Woo! That was one year. The other year, <laughs> I was under a creosote bush in the middle of a thunderstorm. Yes. And it was the worst kind of tree to try to take cover because creosote bush leaves are only about that thing. And it smells bad, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the desert. And it's pouring lightning all around. Blah, blah. And I said, Gates. why am I upset that I'm wet? To the heck with these clothes. Wow. You know, why am I upset that water's pouring on me? It's raining. This darn bush, I start trying to tear it up. Chris, it's a creosote bush. It's not meant to come in like that. And I said, Lord, just forget it. And I stood up. Here comes a pickup truck in the middle of a desert while it's storming. <laughs> with high beams on it would not budge. You can imagine how irate I was. Because in my worst humiliation, you're just gonna park there with the bright sun and I'm yelling and screaming, but the thunder and lightning is so loud. Is he laughing at me or what is this guy doing? Just turn your lights off, go that way, do something. You know? So instead, okay, I'm gonna reach around, get up, try to, you know, go to the driver's side or something, you know, and just, you know, give him this mean stare, whoever's back there. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as I got up on the door part, he noticed, you know, oh, like that, and turned the lights off, rolled down the window real quick. Hello, hello? Like that, I was like, yeah, hello. You know, like you could have said something. Dude, yeah, I'm in the middle of a storm, you know. Oh, oh, oh I, I was just waiting for the storm to, to, to pass. Yeah, <laughs> you know, for 15 Can't offer me a seat to sit down out of the storm? Or, hey, are you all right, fellas? Right. You know, but then I don't know what was going through his head. You feel me? You know, yeah. That's, that's something I've always wondered is, why do people sit there and watch somebody suffer instead of reaching out? They just sit there and watch them suffer. Is it like that satanic thing? Oh, my God, he's suffering. This is great. Because one time the rejection was so cold for me, I assumed something. And when I assumed it in my manner of this is help. Who told you to do this? I said, do what? Excuse me? You know what I'm saying? The rejection was so cold and so hard 
that I backed up and I said, yeah, who gave me permission to even think that about you? I don't even know you. I'm sorry, miss. And turned around and walked away with my uh, hanging on the floor. Have you ever had so any of these social workers come up, to where you were, come up to where you were sleeping and say, oh, we're here to help. Who can we get you? We want to get you housing. Right? We want to get you housing. And you know in your head, sleep. you know in your head there's no there's no housing available, right? But they're telling you they can get you housing. Now, Another you're taking this spadat, right? The spadat to, to, to score you for housing? Yeah. Do you well, find that intrusive, some of the questions they ask? Um, Yes. And it, does it, in, a lot of them, do they really not have anything to do with housing? Like, have you ever been sexually assaulted? Uh, yes. Does that have to do with housing? Yes. How? That's where it occurred. Okay, but do you so think, do you think housing can do with housing? You got to answer the most humiliating questions in your life. With yes? Um, yes. Do you think, do you, do you, do you, what do you does assume? that have to do with making sure have you're you been under Have you been sexually assaulted? What does that have to do with okay, getting qualified for housing? Going on that topic, I ran, you know, you know, border camps, as I told you, mm -hmm. for that particular population and SMI and this and that, right? If I didn't ask, and I hear what's going on in the next room with you and him again, you see, I should have asked, huh? Yeah. But the thing is... Because guess what? I didn't know he was a predator and you were a They were checking to see if you qualify. The These social workers are seeing to see if you qualify for housing, right? Right. What does that have to do with whether you qualify for well, housing? See, I would be making an assumption that this guy's okay, he's never been abused, this guy's all right because he seems cool, but guess right. what? If I never ask, are they going to just speak up and tell it? No. Then what's going to happen? But then you're oh, trying we, to qualify we, for we, housing, we, and they're we, asking you if you've ever been sexually. Now, I understand there's a dirt to know so you can help them. But the fact is, somebody True. like me, okay, I've never been sexually assaulted. Like this. Right. So You have the right to not answer these is, questions. What does sexually assault have to do with me qualifying for housing or not? Because for your well-being. They don't ask me that on a housing application when I apply for an apartment. Because there's no predator sleeping right next to predators you. Predators everywhere. The predator is not going to say that, though. Right. That's right. There could be a predator living next door, for all I know. And usually it ha happens. But now. when I came here to get a credit check they for an apartment, when I get a credit predators. check for an apartment, they never asked me if I was sexually assaulted. They asked me if I had income, if I'd ever been infected, if I... Things like that. See, in my point of view, only because I work in the industry, be as honest as possible because somebody might literally be looking out for your best interest. But to me, but you don't have to. You can lie. Yeah. So I, I, I answered yes to sexually assault. Once. Okay. Okay, now, and what automatically when I answered yes, I qualified for housing when nobody got me housing. Hmm? I took the spit out another six months later. Then I took it again six months later. And then I lost contact with my case for prison. I took another spit out with another person six months later. And I never really got housing. And you put it on that question. Because, the only because they keep asking me that question. And the only way I qualify for housing is to say yes, but they still don't give me housing. And it's a very sensitive subject in your and it's situation. Intrusive. Okay, tell them. 
said, well, I prefer not and to. And then when I started speaking up about it, it became worse because then I became difficult to handle. It was always my fault that they didn't come through with their end of the bargain. Or say like this, they don't have a clue about my situation. I'm going to say no for now. But if it becomes an issue after I get my housing, oh, I'm definitely going to let it be known. Right. Have you ever, have you ever had that experience where they keep would. running you around, coming out, giving you a spat, telling you, oh, yeah, let's, let's try to get you housing. We're going to help you. We're going to help you. And then they disappear and not help you. And you're still out there and you're like, where the fuck or did the they go? consequences like this. Why didn't you tell us that at the original interview? Yeah. It's you always know? your fault. Well, in this case, why didn't you? Right. Well, because my past experiences <laughs> says if I answer this question like this, you're going to respond like that. I, I, nine times out of ten, this is how the response is going to go. And I don't like it. And I'm just being honest. Now, check this out. But maybe that's not how y'all run this. So right. I'm, I don't want to put nothing on you guys. Guess what? That is the honest I can be. So to me, I think that if they if they would stop asking such intrusive questions, like have you ever been sexually assaulted while on the streets? What they need to ask is, do you have income? And if they have income, housing. Instead of looking for that one that doesn't have income, has nothing, and has disappeared, to find them for housing, they should get that one that has income right now, put them in housing. Saying it goes all through the spectrum. Why is this girl always jumping in the bed with these men when I keep telling her that's not good? No. Now, this is what I discovered about this one scenario. Late night. Yeah. Well, no. And yes. I don't want to be alone. No. And then I'm like, okay, what do you mean? So any warm body of who? Yeah. Because you don't understand. But you have to have sex with him to be a warm body and not be alone. To be accepted. Right. I want to be close. But close like that, with those situations, mean sexual. And it's damage. It's damage. Right. Yeah. But then once the damage is done, it's the norm for It this takes girl. away their pride. Yeah. For this girl, it's, it's, it becomes the norm. Right. And getting attention. I feel more secure. It's how I get my attention. You know, it's how I get noticed. But then for me to come in there and say... Hey, this is not good. Now you're intruding on her space. Yeah, now I'm making assumptions again, like as if I was a woman and a woman like her. Now check this out. I have started to break my senses down to like feel what they're saying. Remember what I told you about when you said that? Mm -hmm. I've never experienced that before because I felt what you said, even though thousands of people said the same words. I didn't feel what I felt when you said that. And guess what? That's only because you made actual eye contact and you looked at me as I was speaking and you heard the inflection in my voice. And I'm trying not to. See, and this is how humans on every level communicate. I didn't know none of that when I was punching in and punching out because I didn't have time to do all that. I didn't know none of that. You know, different scenarios brought it to me. One incident, and I gotta say this. I know this might sound a little sketchy. Little Chancho, wherever you are, you know, this is for you. She smiled and she says, okay. And then anywhere and everywhere you could ever have a great experience with another human being and not just sexual. On the poncho wheel, looking up at the night stars. Yeah. And then I turned and I go, and I seen her smile. And I said, 
wow. I jumped down. Come on, let's go over here real quick. And then we just went everywhere. It's great, huh? Came right back to the original spot six months later. And she wanted to say something. And I said, no, don't do that. Don't do that. She said, I, I, I. And all I could hear was love. And then I said, no, man, I'm out. I never seen her again. Now, Chris, if there is one thing you want people to know about the homeless population, it's most important to most. What would you want people to know about the homeless? That's important that they don't um, know about people. About the homeless people, the people out there on yeah, the street. People that don't have without a shelter or a yeah. box to be confined. What do you okay. want them to know about them? Um. Whatever they want to know, like ask, talk. Oh yeah, I mean, what's one thing that you think people need to know that they don't know now? Uh, if they're listening to this podcast, they're learning a grip. Yep. You see what I'm saying? And if they have the time, do the same thing, person to person. You don't, you don't need permission. Just walk up and say, "Hey, how y'all doing?" And have a little compassion and talk to them. No, be yourself. Yeah. Because the homeless gonna gonna get you straight. Believe that. <laughs> They're a compassionate bunch, but they'll tell you straight the way it is. Yeah, because they don't have those filters. They don't have that programming anymore. They don't have the judgments, none of that. And that They're is truly being free, free to yeah. be me. And then that's the thing. That, that's, one <laughs> yeah. the, that's the greatest thing in the world, and that's one of the best things I've heard all day. And I'll tell you what, the one thing I've always said is there's community out there in the streets. Unlike in the world, there's community. Yes. You work, you work a nine-hour job as a banker, and you become homeless, and your banker friends are no longer your friends. The homeless, no matter where you go in life, they will be your friend. Yes. That's that community. They're loyal to each other. And even if you're not homeless, and you come out there and talk to them like they're human beings, they'll be your friend. And this is just off topic. Don't be in the bean clique. Right. Because they will eat you alive. Yes. These are some ruthless groups of people I've ever seen in my existence. The bean click. Yeah, you got to For anybody that knows. The blues? The blues, yes. The blues. So, dots. Chris, if there was in one piece of help that you would need, if anybody would help you, what would that piece of help be? Um, How would you? Don't leave me alone. I mean, lonely. I mean, be nice and talk yeah, to don't, me. Don't leave me alone. You can leave me alone. With it. I, you, you can tell I need to be left alone. But don't leave me alone. Yes, sir. It's, it's a painful thing, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I was in the shopping mall with thousands of people. But it, I felt like I couldn't open my mom and express to now one of these people what I was feeling at the time. And it needed to be expressed. So I went in the restroom, grabbed the first mirror I could see, and express is there anything right to. now <laughs> specifically that you need, like clothing, blankets, anything like that, that is a necessity of life that you need? If my oh. viewers are listening, they can help you with. Right now, it would be this: just do what you say you're gonna do. Don't because, come off in false hopes. Yeah, because if that's what it is, and you recognize, I don't think I'll be able to. Then don't say. If someone came and offered you genuine help with housing, and at the end of that tunnel there was actually housing, would you take it? Or would you rather stay out there where you're at? I'll be grateful for anything that they say and do. Yes. You know? I, I, I'm not so grateful for what they say and don't do, though. Yeah, because then That's a let it down. becomes a lie. It's a letdown. It's a straight-up lie. <laughs> you yeah, know? and then it's a letdown at the end. Of course. Yeah. 
If I believe your lie, and in the end, I'm sitting in the rain waiting on you. And you never show up. You know how humiliating that would make me yeah. feel? Yeah. Even though the rest of the world don't know, they're just blasting you driving by. But and you're sitting there going. <laughs> you've been rather quiet. Do you have any questions for Chris? Anything you want to know? Um, not that I could think of offhand. You've been awfully quiet tonight. Did you do you know what he said? Huh? No. Nah. Okay. So I was actually listening for the reason. So yes. at the end of the night, at the end of the day, I want everybody to know. Even though we have no shelter, we are human. We are people. We have rights. We are the homeless at large. We are everywhere. Help us or leave us alone. But not lonely. But not lonely. Because we are just here to live our lives. Right. So if I say, excuse me, excuse me, just acknowledge me. Chris, I want to take this time now to personally thank you for being on the show. Right. Um, thank you. I'm going to show you some merchandise from the store. I'll let you pick something out. Tomorrow we'll order it for you, and we'll get it shipped to you. You can pick it up here wherever you receive your mail, because I do have a storefront. I want you to have a T-shirt or something. I know you're going to get a T-shirt because it has that inscription, we are people, we are human, we are exactly. we have rights, and I want people to know that we are homeless large, but we're human. Yeah, so I, you're definitely going to get a T-shirt. You like the coffee cup, then you'll have one. You know why? Because... As a gift to a certain individual yes. I know, it, I, I already know it's going to touch him. So I want to thank you for being on the show, Chris. I hope that um, we can get you, thank um, you if you want housing, let me know. We'll make some noise for you. We'll try to bring some people in to get you housing. But any way I can help you, man, I will. Yes. And um, is there a way people can get in touch with you if they want to donate clothes or give you a donation? I don't let money be exchanged. True. Through <laughs> through me? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to put my email and my phone number in the about section of this post. Um, and uh, if you want to help Chris, it would be much appreciated. Any way you can, if you've got an apartment he can rent or help him get income, part-time work. I know he put, works on a bunch of cars and stuff, and he's pretty good at it. So if you got some part-time work, yard work, whatever, I'm sure he'd appreciate it. Thanks for joining the show, everyone. Good night.